you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you coming by the show. You guys are the most valuable, juicy audience in the world. I don't know what that means. If you're a juicy audience, I don't know. I just made it up because that's what we do on the ramble. I just make stuff up every time there's a different ramble. There's people who actually tune in just to listen to the ramble. Can you believe that? Because they're just like, I want to see what Chris just makes up today. So you guys are now uh, known as the juicy audience. I think, uh, what is the Bieber as the Bieberettes? Or, I don't know what his bullshit is. I don't care. Uh, there's uh, somebody else. Uh, I, I forget uh, that one other gal who was in that one movie and uh, <laughs> from the 70s that Chris Christopherson was in, but they remade it. Anyway, Brad, somebody was in it too. Anyway, she's got like some things that she calls her people and I don't really care. I'm just done with this whole rap that I just started and I can't finish because I got no references I can pull. But that's half the joke, people. Sometimes you try and tell a joke, you can't pull the reference and it dies. And hopefully that kills. It makes you laugh. But if it doesn't, well, then that's on you, man. Because I'm going to laugh at it. <laughs> and I'm the only one laughing. Anyway, guys, uh, as always, you guys are the most amazing audience as well. Refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss. And uh, we're trying to be cool on TikTok. So check that out as well. And also, there are 1,400 plus episodes of the Chris Foss Show now. 14 years, two to three new ones a day. Simon Schuster is like auto booking the show and killing me on the schedule. If you are not listening to these episodes, I will die and haunt you for the rest of your life. So don't let that happen. Anyway, we love you guys. Uh, we have an amazing returning guest on the show. We always love our returning guests because they're so brilliant. Uh, we have M.P. Woodward on the show today. He's the author of his newest book in a series to come out uh, May 23rd, 2023. See, you, know, like, you like how that 2323 falls into there? I just kind of noticed that was funny. Anyway, his new book, Dead Drop which is part of his handler theory or <laughs> handler theory. It's handler theory, a handler thriller series that he has. Uh, he was uh, joining us on his prior book that had uh, come out. I think, uh, what was that last year? When did that come yeah. out? The handler. Yeah. The handler was exactly a year ago. Yeah. The time flies when you're having fun. So this is his second part of that series of his uh, handler thriller series. Uh, he is joining us today, as you can hear in the background. He's already uh, piping up in the background and getting on the show, but we're going to make him hold for one second. We'll read his bio because that's the juice or no, he's the juice. I don't know. There's a lot of juicing going on, on the show. Juicy, juicy. I don't know. That's the callback joke, I think, for the show. MP Woodward is a veteran of both U.S. intelligent ops and the entertainment industry. As a naval intelligence officer with the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, he scripted scenario moves and counter moves for U.S. war game exercises in the Middle East. In multiple deployments to the Persian Gulf and Far East, he worked alongside U.S. Special Forces, CIA, and NSA. And he later transitioned to the private sector as an executive in the media streaming industry. Most recently, he ran international partner 
distribution for Amazon Prime and Prime Video. Welcome to the show, Mr. Woodward. How are you? Hey, Chris. It's great to be back. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you back. An honor as well. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, you bet. That's mpwoodward.com. There you go. And it's Mike, right? Yeah, you can. we'll go by Mike, yeah. We'll go by Mike, but uh, Google him on the uh, MP Woodward. So, Mike, uh, what motivates you want to write this latest book? Uh, well, um, a couple things. First off, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying the the thriller genre. We got a tremendous response from from the handler. Um, people told me over and over again they they wanted to know what happened next. So I wrote a story where uh, where I can tell everybody what what happens next. Uh, but the subject matter was something else that that caught my attention. Um, this book is about uh, what would happen when Iran actually does get to what the intelligence community calls breakout, which is uh, enriching uranium U-235 to 90% or better, and how both the U.S. and Israel would respond to that. There you go. And Israel does not like that sort of stuff, from my understanding of weather activities. <laughs> yeah, they're not too fond of it. And, <laughs> um, and, and what, we, uh, what we explore in the book is um, the, the characterization is through Mossad and a lot of details on Mossad. Mm. And on the Iranian side, the, the real threat becomes, well, while on the one hand, there might be a diplomatic effort to contain a nuclear Iran, there's still, um, there's still a country with lots and lots of terrorist resources, mainly through Hezbollah, which is kind of a country within a country in Lebanon. So this book explores the idea that while there might be diplomatic initiatives uh, for everybody to play nice, Iran could still get a nuclear warhead through to Hezbollah, which is uh, parked right on the northern border of Israel and therefore an existential threat. Definitely. And I mean, these are, these are you know, real things that are going on in our world, too. I was reading recently that Iran was uh, working on some developing nuclear material under a mountain so that, you know, the U.S. would have a harder time dropping one of those uh, bombs that go through bunkers. Well, that's just it, is that... They, 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 they are doing that. They have been doing that. The, the, the nuclear deal that President Obama signed with them in 2015 was undone in 2018. And all along, uh, Iran has, has more or less um, thwarted inspections by the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Association. And all the evidence suggests that they are making tremendous uh, strides on enriching uranium. And yeah, they. Uh, I don't think that this is something certainly that Israel would stand by and let happen. Um, one time I met, when I was in the service, I met an Israeli fighter pilot. And I asked him, you know, how, how far would, would Israel go to keep Iran from getting a nuclear weapon? And he said, 2,000 nautical miles. So it gives you kind of an it gives you kind of an idea of of their mindset and how hard they would they would work to either prevent this from happening or do something once it does happen. Yeah, and they've assassinated uh, scientists, uh, nuclear scientists, and different things. Um, so tell us about the character. Is this a playthrough from the character of your pre previous books? And let's uh, tell us more about the protagonist that you uh, developed in the book. Yeah, sure. So, so the protagonists, um, are, are, it's really two protagonists um, that, that work in hand in hand with each other, though not very well because they're a divorced couple. So uh -huh. the, the woman whose name is Meredith is uh, reasonably, ser uh, reasonably senior in the CIA and she works in the 
which is a, a real world thing, the uh, Counter Proliferation Center, um, which is the group within the CIA that works day and night to do everything they can to, to thwart this, uh, to thwart adversarial company or countries from getting nuclear weapons. Her ex-husband is someone who, who left the CIA some time ago, but has a number of relationships that are important. That was true in the handler as well. It becomes more true in this one as um, the U S has a, uh, a, uh, an asset, a defected Iranian Quds officer under its control, but he, he really will only deal with the guy that doesn't want to deal with him. Um, uh, Meredith's ex-husband, but together they have to solve a mystery as to whether uh, as to whether Iran is smuggling a weapon to Hezbollah or not. Mm. Meanwhile, the Israelis are convinced that they are. The Americans, on a political level, are working on a diplomatic deal, so they kind of don't want to hear that uh, that the Iranians are doing something bad. This ends up pitting the Mossad against the CIA. So much of the book pivots around that uh, that adversarial relationship yeah the billing on it uh, f- says they are pawns in an international chess game and uh, any player knows you cannot capture the king without sacrificing some pawns uh tell us a little bit about that or tease out what you can on it i know we can't get away here yeah sure i mean, we're, we're we're basically talking about three countries the u.s israel and iran and mm-hmm. all three have their interests and agenda um in the book they're dramatized through through John and Meredith on the American side uh, through the Iranian Quds officer, as well as the counterintelligence people who are, who are, you know, looking to find him and especially Mossad where we have the leader of the operations group in Mossad that's called Caesarea and his protege who is, uh, who is an assassin and Mossad thinks that the Americans are holding back information from uh from them because they think that you know we do have this Kuds officer we don't admit that we have this Kuds officer because in so doing that would screw up the diplomatic deal so these the israelis think that the americans are being soft and political they really want to get at this Kuds officer because he can tell them everything and so they the israelis end up spying on the americans ah yeah, that's been going on, you know, back and forth. Is everyone spying on spy versus spies? They used to say in Mag Magazine. I used to love that comment. Well, it, it has, and, and Israel is a great ally of of the United States, of course, and the most significant ally we have in the in the Middle East. But but countries um, at the end of the day are all about their own interests and their mm-hmm. survival, no matter how tight that relationship. And back in the seventies, um, we arrest the FBI arrested an Israeli spy named um, Jonathan Pollard, who uh, mm-hmm. was a naval intelligence guy and was um, passing along secrets to Israel. Uh, back in the, the early 70s, there was even armed conflict between Israel and the U.S. Most people have forgotten about this, but we had a, uh, an intelligence ship called the Liberty in the eastern Mediterranean. The Israelis didn't like that we were snooping on them and actually bombed mm-hmm. them. So... Um, Countries that we think of as being natural allies don't always play nice with each other. And I wanted to explore that idea that if a country like Israel was facing an existential threat and had the capabilities that they do with with Mossad, that they would use them and they would get to the answer they needed and take the actions they needed to take, regardless of what the American political position was. Most definitely. It's it's interesting how... uh 
that whole relationship. I mean, the whole Middle East thing is such a is such a crazy thing. We've had some authors on that talked about the history of all the different presidents who, you know, going back to Carter and stuff, and probably Nixon. Uh, but going back to I think about Carter when when you know every administration would come in and be like, we will be the administration to solve this problem. In uh, the characters you develop in the book, now you've got a second book in the series. Um, what do you think um, most of the readers that read your books find appealing about those characters and what goes into them? Um, what I hear, uh, and this this is certain certainly something that I that I try to do, but um, that people describe these as character driven novels, um, and you you know while I try to have a big juicy you use the word juicy juicy, uh, big, juicy, uh, juicy uh, geopolitical setting. That's really the context for characterizations. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I set out to do is to not treat intelligence agencies as big monolithic secret organizations and they're magical and can do any, anything, but really to portray this as these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And that means getting in the head of the Americans, of the Israelis, of the Iranians. Um, that, that means that they have families and family concerns and the same sort of mundane challenges going on in their lives that the rest of us have too. They just ha happen to have a different job with much higher stakes. So I try to make these people as um, real as possible and, and, and fill them up with, with emotion. Um, and hopefully that makes for a much more uh, satisfying read. Kind of it humanizes it maybe in a way. Is that sound? Um, C completely. And, you know, I probably need tons and tons of therapy by the time I get done with these books, because to me at the end, they always seem so, <laughs> so utterly real. These are, you know, these are people that have become real to me. And if I ever get stuck on, you know, a plot point, all I do is put the people in the room and they're so real to me that I sort of know how they're going to react, if that makes any sense. But mm -hmm. that's um that that's that's a lot of at least my psychology as I'm writing these. Well, this sounds great for a juicy audience. I think what I'm going to do is every every show I'm just going to get me a verb, and I'm going to start calling my audience that for the show to play. It's to not play a bad idea. I, I I think juicy <laughs> might be an adjective, but yeah, you could juice things. There's a verb. If we go see. See, I don't. I didn't know it was an adjective because yeah. I flunked second grade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you know, your experience is is quite vast in working with the intelligence agency and the military. Uh, tell us a little bit how that plays out. You know, we've we've had a lot of great authors on the show uh, and novelists lately that you know they experience. You know, they worked in the military for thirty years. We're trying to get James Comey, the the ex FBI director, on the show for his new book, and, and it's kind of interesting how everyone who's worked the intelligence business in the in the military has uh, is the ability to create these juicy stories of uh, of uh, suspense. Yeah, juicing it up. Um, the in, in my in my case, I I um, am fortunate that as an intelligence officer in the Navy, um, I got to see the way the U the, the seventeen agencies within the U.S. come together uh, to to basically inform war fighters. And my job, at least for a period with um, with the Pacific Command was to write wargaming scenarios uh, for everything from, you know, natural disasters to um, full-on full on war. 
And in, in so doing, you're, you're looking to create all kinds of um, realism, which means working with all these other agencies to really filter out information, to create challenges, et cetera. That, that, ended, up, that ended up being pretty good training ground for, for writing books because it makes you think about a whole bunch of different things that are happening simultaneously. And the way that um, big professional agencies and organizations like the U.S. military have to assess and act and react oftentimes with only partial information. Mm. So that's what I'm always trying to portray in my books because that's what I saw happening, um, happening in the real world. And I think it makes the books uh, even more richer, or if we can abuse the word juicy, uh, because like I said, everybody we have on that's a, that's a, a, a popular selling novelist like yourself, they all have military backgrounds or intelligence backgrounds. And so they're able to pull from this vast database that they, they had over the years serving. And, uh, and uh, you know, they've been able to enjoy it. But I think it makes for better book reading. Because, uh, you know, if I wrote a book, it would be about, you know, the CIA or FBI. It would be like dumb. Because it's like, well, I, you know, that when, uh, when I, I've always been a fan of this genre, you know, grew up with Tom Clancy, et cetera. Yeah. Um, what, one of the things that, that made those books really satisfying, I think, and the reason they took off is because it was one of the first times we saw a lot of authenticity mm -hmm. being poured into this genre. So before, I feel like it was spy genres, um, good stuff, like, you know, John LeCarre, uh, guys like that. But when Clancy came along, it was really the first time he took that stuff going on with the Cold War, but backed it up with technology descriptions and operational descriptions that we really hadn't seen before. You know, people had never been inside a submarine. They didn't know what it was like. And all of a sudden yeah. you get Hunt for Red October and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I get it. And that's both a spy story as well as a military story. So that, that informed a lot of my thinking and. I, I think like you, if I pick up a book and don't see authenticity, you, you detect it pretty fast and mm. it blows everything up. Suspension of disbelief is gone, right? You kind of don't trust it. Like you lose the ability, in my, in my opinion, to be entertained. Now, there's times when you're willing to let that go. If you go to the, you go to a big Marvel movie, you know what you're in for, right? And you're going to like let all kinds of crazy things happen that have nothing to do with the real world. But I think people that buy books like this, they're, they're looking for authenticity, and I try really hard to provide that. Yeah, and plug the Tom Clancy books. We uh, just had one of the other authors on, and Don Bentley is returning the show for the new I know I know Don very yeah. well. was with him in Austin two nights ago, and ah. uh, he and I are going to be together in Scottsdale at the Poison Pen on June 13th at 7 p.m., if anybody would like to there go. There you go. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, and be sure to check out Chris Voss Leadership institute.com 
Now back to the show. Yeah, he must be following you around because in two days he's on. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's Don. He's always, he's always chasing me down. <laughs> he's always following you. You're, you're, I, think, uh, I think this will be his second return to the show. So you got him, you got him beat by two days. So yeah. there you go. But yeah, I think we've had everybody on the show except for Tom Clancy now. Uh, and it's probably not going to work out getting Tom on the show. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think so unless you're going to seance mode. I think that would be <laughs> that, That's probably the next podcast we're going to do, the seance mode podcast, where we bring people back from the dead, reanimate them. I think you do that now with AI and shit. We probably should do that. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I'd, I would like see it. I would see how that goes. I'll get sued by, like, uh, I don't know, whoever the inheritance families are. Uh, any tease-outs of the book, any plot twists, anything you tell us, because it's always... You can't give away too much of the middle and the end of the book because you got to buy the book, people. That's why we're here. But any tease-outs, any juicy stuff that you want to tease um, I, I, would, I would just say that uh, there's a lot of deception um, in the novel. Mm. Um, and so that things don't see, you know, things aren't necessarily as they seem. Mm. And that it's the relationships between operatives on the Israeli side and the American side Mm -hmm. lower down than at the than at the high level political side it's those lower down relationships that really drive the drama and 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 ultimately lead to the uh the shocking plot reveal there you go the shocking plot reveal that's the yes. teaser boys that's and girls it. order up the book because uh you know it's going to be there um so what what's in the future for you do you see yourself uh any, any movies? Uh, are, are you going to continue on with the series of this character? Yeah, yeah, we've had. Um, so I can't, I can't announce anything on on the film <laughs> side, but there have been some really, really fun discussions. Uh, I'm just now. Uh, your your listeners probably know um, because you've got so many authors on that there's a significant delay between when you give a you hand uh, your manuscript over to your editor and when it finally comes out. You know, you know, like about like a year. And yeah. so um, I have, Jim, just now finishing up my fourth book. So oh, you wow. see, the, yeah. So you'll see the third book in this series uh, next year, and we re we reframe <laughs> thing. It's really things. Um, it'll be uh, about about China, and then and then a fourth book that is a standalone novel uh, about about something completely different, but in the same genre. There you go. There you go. It's it's interesting to me, and I, I think what you say about how you know having the intelligence background makes for richer stuff. I've always been just intrigued, and, I, and and spy you know spy stuff has been huge probably for the longest time. I don't know if it started with 007, James Bond or before that. I'd have to think about movies, but you know we've we've always been enticed by the secretive nature and the intelligence. To me, it's like it's like the chess game of it. You know, I, I remember as a kid, first book was 1000 days and reading about how John F. Kennedy had been deceived by the CIA and, you know, all the intelligence that was going on in the Bay of Pigs. And then and then how that played into how he handled uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And <laughs> we stood at the brink of wiping ourselves off the planet, you know, and you, you read about, you know, so many different moving parts, especially like the CIA on its own what the FBI does, Hoover, you know, there's, there's so many different plays of parts and how they uh, sometimes have, have been pivotal or, uh, you know, had, had moments that uh, maybe sometimes saved the world and maybe sometimes made it worse, you know, Pinochet. I, I, you know, I, it's uh, your, your first point about, Hey, when did this start? Was it James Bond? You know, I, I think it kind of did. I think that's actually a pretty, a pretty accurate observation because he was a, 
World War II guy that that had gotten involved with the early stages of British intelligence, Ian Fleming, wrote that book and it took off. And then, you know, for the next 20, 30 years, really, it was that Cold War chess game. Um, like uh, John LeCrae's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold very much embodies that where it's like, you know, hey, by the end, you realize there's been a cross, a double cross and a triple cross, um, all, you know, so that one one could get on top of the other. And I, a lot of those, even though James Bond, there were a lot of physical aspects to that for entertainment value. A lot of that spy versus spy stuff has been mental, mm-hmm. um, really psychological. And then around, uh, around what, what really shook that up, I think was nine 11. Then the mm-hmm. genre changed quite a bit. Um, so that in the two thousands and, you know, the last decade, uh, the, the, the heroes, pretty much are picking up a gun and shooting that thing, you know, by page five, right? Like it got to be much more visceral and violent. And the big heroes became, you know, Mitch Rapp, who's an assassin, the gray man who's an assassin, um, et cetera. Um, in, in my book, I'm, 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 I'm hoping to get back a little bit to that, to that chess match um, between nations. That is really the foundation of the book. But I also recognize that the genre has changed to demand um, some action. And that's why I created these, my protagonist as someone who is a spy master. That's really Meredith. And then someone who's on the ground as, as a, as a, a gun wielding um, tough guy. Cause I think people kind of want both. And um, this is all about um, providing strong entertainment. Yeah. The spy mastery and the spy mastery works. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, how people, they develop people and, and all the stuff that goes into it. It's, it's just, it's crazy. Spy versus spy. The, the game that we play. Uh, yeah. Have any thoughts on who the next James Bond should be now that we threw bond in there? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I would, I, I recently wrote a piece that's out there actually, oh. because um, well, a lot, it's funny you ask about it because when I was, I, I left Amazon not too long ago and Amazon had acquired MGM and oh. MGM has uh, the re- the big reason for that acquisition is because MGM has the rights to James Bond. Uh-huh. So now James Bond is a, is an Amazon character and that happens right uh, as Daniel Craig, that James Bond literally literally died right so it it becomes this big you know multi-billion dollar challenge as to oh okay what what do we do do we we, you know yes there's another 007 is his name james bond because i think he just died so it'll be interesting to see and i've I've heard that you know there's been rumors and rumors um uh, harry styles and i I can't remember all the actors henry cavill maybe yeah a lot of um Handsome British guys, Idris Elba, um, but I would imagine that they are um, racing to get that announced and are going to make as much PR value out of that as possible. I'm sure they always do that. I mean, don't they usually do that? Why thing wouldn't you? They... I mean, you paid. Oh yeah. I mean... with, they paid ten billion for yeah. MGM. Um, it, the Bond franchise is a big part of that. It definitely is. I was, you know, I was more angry that they killed him at the end. I kind of like how they kind of. I don't and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of the other bonds like they died on film. They, they just kind of no. I looked into it. Faded yeah. out, right? Absolutely. No, I looked into it. It is huh. literally the first time the man dies, and, so, yeah. and not just like not like in a you know end of the born you know born supremacy or that like where you're not sure what happened. Like no, 
he not only died, they toasted him at the end, right? <laughs> so, oh yeah. I mean, so it's it big... becomes it, yeah. I, I like I said. I, does that mean that they're stuck in prequel mode, or I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not. I'm not sure what that's going. It was I, to me. It was an ugly thing due to character that you really beloved. I like the whole. You know, just make him disappear. Say that you know he retired, or you know, I don't know. He went and took care of the wife and kid there that he picked up. At the end, uh, you know, you know, you went off into the, you go off in the sunset, right? I mean, it's like the Western, you know, you don't see, any, you know, the cowboy goes off in the sunset, you know, you just, okay, there he goes. And that's, it's kind of a nice way, but I, I, viscerally, agree. I, I really think it's a writing. Look, look, it was a big bang emotionally, right? Oh yeah. They certainly, they certainly like lit that up, giving him a daughter and the, I mean, God forbid anybody watching this or listening to this ad hasn't already seen it because we've spoiled the hell out of it. But you know, hey, I think it's like a year and a half old now. Um, and so, like, yeah, they played it up to the max, but it's like, okay, now, now what? <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. and it, it it was it was so visceral. Like, yeah. I was angry about it. I was violently not violently. I didn't hurt anybody, but I was I was very juiced up about it. Um, and I was not happy because seeing him killed, it was just, you know, it's when you kill a character, I think it almost makes it harder to watch the, the earlier movies, which I'm a fan of is Daniel Craig. And, yeah. uh, cause you're like, well, this guy's fucking dead. <laughs> you know? it's, a, it's not a bad, it's not a bad point. I think, I guess, I guess the bet is that with bond, it's like I was talking about earlier with the MCU, you're already willing to suspend disbelief, you, you know, to, come in and have some fun with this character because you know what it is and you know what to expect. So I suppose that's, uh, I suppose that's the big bet they made. There you go. And, and you know, the, the, the lifestyle leads to the masculine nature of James Bond is sort of getting willing down in the movie. I mean, the whole, the whole family thing and stuff. I, I was just like, what? And, I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. I know. They are right. It's like, Sean Connery's turning over in his grave, right? Yeah. What is this? You're crying over your daughter? Come on. Yeah, it's, it was just, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I suppose it appeals maybe to a broad audience, but I mean, come on, man. You know, I think one of the biggest things that uh, issues that I have with film nowadays is it plays a little bit too much to the culture and society's sort of views right now. And I, I, and I think that really takes away from what the franchise was. You know, it used to be the biggest audience for films was 12-year-old boys who would go to the movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they could afford to. That's mm -hmm. another thing. But, uh, you know, nowadays it, it's really flipped, and it's more emotionalism-based and feminine-based. And, you know, well I, well, I appreciate movies that are in that genre. I'm like, you know, I really don't think that she's got the upper body strength for that that I'm seeing. You know, well, I have problems I, with CGI and stuff, too. I, I think mean, this is... This is this is an, an industry challenge is that, um, you know, the big blockbusters that we're used to um, have to have to appeal to this audience that is actually going to go to the theater. Right. And so right yeah. now it feels like, man, if it's not a Marvel movie, then they don't make the investment to, you know, put it in the theater. They don't make as many movies, et cetera. Instead it splinters up into these lower budget, very um, niche-oriented uh, films that are going to end up on streaming platforms, and so that it, it it feels rarer and rarer to find um, to find good entertainment that 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 does both. I mean, Top Gun Maverick last year, I think that was an example of one. Everybody, you know, that that is super wide audience. Obviously, look how successful it was, but that was one where you could see a guy in his fifties with his wife sitting next to his kids, and all of them. 
all of them enjoying the crap out of it, right? And so yeah. it would be, it would certainly be um, nice to see more of that. With respect to uh, to intelligence thrillers, I, I think there's fewer that feel real to me, and more that more and more that are kind of like you know crazy comic booky funny one-liners and entertaining but not necessarily realistic i did see one though over the weekend um called kandahar uh i think it's probably a pretty small film but i saw it in the theater it has um gerard butler in it and man i thought i thought it was cool it was really? about exactly it was very similar to my book dead drop it's you know it opens up with the um iranian underground nuclear facility at natan's getting blown up and then the spies who more or less were responsible for it on the run into Afghanistan, which borders Iran, and uh, and all the and all the trouble that that that, that makes. So I was super happy to see um, to see a movie like that. There you go. Well, if you recommend it, I'll go check it out because I yeah, love great movies. And I was looking at that. I I've been ever since COVID's over. I love going to the theater again. Yeah, and I also love it because no one goes either. Um, but a, so I have the, the place seats have there. gotten better. I mean, they're reclining. Yeah, there's a new beers. <laughs> there's a new theater that they have by us, and yeah, we do have one of those beer places. Really yeah, good. they serve excellent pizza, and you can eat the pizza at the. They got like a table there between the chairs. It's like an old. It's called Brewies here in Salt Lake, and I love it. Um, and it was nice when I when I used to drink. Um, but the pizzas they make are fucking out of this world, and probably more healthier than eating that butter popcorn. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll check that movie out, but I, I'm constantly looking for good movies to see, and uh, it's so hard to tell. Did you check out The Covenant? I did not. That's a. I don't know if it's good, but yeah, you're right. They make these movies now. They're kind of like they're kind of like uh, you know the Rolling Stones kind of got into that gear where they would do, and it was kind of a genre there for a while with albums where they do like one or two good hits on the album, and the rest is just filler B sides, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what made people get sick of music and, and devalue it and go, eh, we'll just we'll just download it off the internet. It was because you know you, you listen to Led Zeppelin one and two, like the whole album is like you got to listen to the whole album. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah. A, I don't think there's a track on there where you're like, well, that's one. well, I mean, that's the business model, right? It used to be yeah. you'd go and you'd buy that you'd buy that thing, and now you stream and you're paid, you know, right? So it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's no longer a package the way that it used to be. I think yeah. when Led Zeppelin did that, yeah, I agree. It's like, hey, this whole thing has like this one sound and you're going to listen to it. And we ordered the songs in a certain way. Now you go on Spotify and yeah, you can listen to it by album, but most of the time you don't, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's stuff's just served out and that's how you discover it. Yeah. Well, hopefully things will get better with, uh, with everything. I, I, I hope they don't ruin the Braun bond franchise by doing something really stupid with it because, uh, you know, you, you, you want, I think every guy idealizes himself and puts himself in that movie. He gets the beautiful girl, you know, most, most, uh, all guys love their women. They think that they've won the great woman in their life, their wife or whatever it is. You know, they, they have that ideal of like, I've worked hard and, you know, accomplish things. And, and so, you know, the whole intelligence thing is so much well, fun. It, you know, it, Don Bentley who's going to be on in two days. We were in, in Austin the other night, uh, having a drink after a book event. And, um, we were talking about book covers, right? And so he's, he's doing the, uh, Tom Clancy book. I think that he's coming uh, on to talk to you about, but, but he said, look, you know, when it comes to covers, every guy 
wants to visualize himself as, you know, the hero, right? And so if you're going to have a, a, a person, so you can see, let's see, my book over here. There right? you go. If you're going to have a, a, you know, a person, right, a, a, and a guy's going to read it, he wants to look at it and think, I want to be like that guy. Or a woman is going to say, um, I, I want to, you know, get with that guy. I, I think Lee Child, who writes the, the Jack Reacher series, said that he modeled um, Reacher to be a character that, guys would want to be and mm. women would want to be with. And I yeah. think at the end of the day, yeah. that's kind of right. You know, even though we yeah. probably don't necessarily want to admit it, we want a good story and all those kinds of things. I think there's some, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. When I used to be in advertising and uh, stuff, uh, you know, the, the key thing of when you look at ads, when a woman looks at an ad, she's like, what is that woman wearing? And the woman's always the feature. The guy is always the accessory in the background. Mm. And uh, they, she looks at, you know, what is that guy, what is that woman wearing? And she's beautiful, so I'm going to go buy accessories or clothes, whatever. And the guy looks at it and goes, what is that guy wearing to get that girl? You know? <laughs> and that's basically all that works, right? Yeah, yeah, we're not too hard to figure out, right? Yeah, we're pretty simple creatures. So don't, you know, fix the movies. Make it so that men want to go back to the right. movies. What is James Bond doing that he's got so much luck with this? Yeah, yeah. there was a recent, is it Thor movie? There was a recent Thor movie that came out where, the whole movie is tension between him and like an ex superhero girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? We're bringing ex girlfriends into movies now. Right. Like, right. What kind of weird stuff okay. is that? We don't, we don't need that crap. It's a superhero. <laughs> it's a superhero. Come he, on. Doesn't, he doesn't want to hang out with ex girlfriend. Yeah. But yeah. I guess you got to create sexual tension these days. What do we know? Uh, well, it's been wonderful. Uh, Mike, to have you on the show again and come back for the show. Anything more you want to tease on the book before we go? No, I just, I hope, uh, well, I would say that uh, this is a, a book that you don't have to read The Handler, but it's um, most people, I think, who have read this said, oh, I can't wait to go back and read The Handler now. So enjoy, enjoy both. There you go. Uh, give us your dot coms, wherever you want people to find you. Mpwoodward.com. It's mpwoodward.com. And um, all my social stuff is uh, right there. And I love to interact with my audience. It's a lot of fun. There you go, folks. You're going to find it's juicy. Juicy as juicy can get. It's juicy as juicy fruits. Do I get a check for saying juicy fruits? Uh, anyway, folks, it's available wherever fine books are sold. May 23rd, 2023, if you're watching this 10 years from now, which people do. Uh, Dead Drop, a handler thriller. MP Woodward, you can order up wherever fine books are sold and look forward to his future works. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, Mike.